Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. For most people, going to a Super Bowl is a bucket list item. Whether you're a fan of a team in the game or just want to go to experience one, it doesn't get much bigger than the Super Bowl. Now imagine you've seen 37 of them. That's how many has been seen by retired journalist Rick Goslin. Goslin worked for the Dallas Morning News from 1990 to 2019, where he covered the Cowboys and later was the paper's NFL columnist. He'll be joining me in just a moment to talk about this year's Super Bowl, as well as some of the best that he's seen. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper, and of course, this podcast, to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. Rick Goslin has seen more Super Bowls than just about anyone. Let's bring him in to hear more. Rick, thanks for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure, Tom. All righty. Well, before we get into all those Super Bowls you've covered, I want to start with this year's, of course, Super Bowl 58, the rematch of one from four years ago, the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. So who do you like in this one and why? I like the Chiefs because it is a quarterback game. A quarterback is, is probably 80, 85% of a winning equation in the NFL. And the Chiefs have the best quarterback in the league in Patrick Mahomes. I'm right there with you. I stopped betting against Mahomes a while back, and I just always pick the Chiefs. And I'm turning into Nostradamus because I, for way too many years, picked against Brady. In the 90s, I always liked Charles Barkley and other players I'd pick against Jordan, but not smart to pick against the best, is it? No, he's he's, he's special. Uh, I mean, six six seasons, six conference championship games. This is what his fourth Super Bowl. He's, He's an amazing talent. And I think it's this year is different for him because in the past he felt he needed to throw 40 times for 350 yards and four touchdowns to win games. But this is the most complete team he's ever played on. This is the best rushing attack and best defense he's ever played with. You know, the Chiefs, the defense they finished they, they allowed the second fewest yards and the second fewest points in the NFL this season. And Isaiah Pacheco rushed for almost a thousand yards, four six and carry. I think Andy Reid has gotten it across from Holmes that you don't have to be Superman for the Chiefs to win. So he's he's his, his passes are down, his production is down, but of late his turnovers have been down. He's not doing things that put the team in bad positions. You know, he threw career a career high fourteen interceptions this season, but he's not thrown an intercept in his last. 155 passes covering 18 quarters. 
if he doesn't turn the ball over, the Chiefs are very difficult to beat. There are eight games this year he didn't throw an interception, and the Chiefs won all of them. If he doesn't throw an interception against the 49ers, the Chiefs will win. Yeah, you know, that the defense is menacing. Chris Jones is just an absolute beast, and, and that team has looked so good. But, you know, facing a 49ers offense where you have Christian McCaffrey, you've got George Kittle, you've got Brandon Ayuk, you've got, um, uh, you know, Brock Purdy has been playing so well. You know, do you, how do you think the Chiefs' defense will stack up against that? And what do, you, what do you make of Purdy? Nobody seems to want to give this guy his flowers, but, you know, he ran for 50 yards in the NFC Championship game. They said he's not athletic. You know, he's regularly throwing for 300 yards. They say he's not even six foot one. What do you make of that guy? Well, I think I'm not ready to call him a franchise quarterback and a lead quarterback. I think he's a very good quarterback, uh, but I'm not going to put him yet in a class with Mahomes and Josh Allen and, and Joe Burrow. I think when you win Super Bowl, you come into that class. If he wins this game this week, I, I think you're talking about a, 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 a different breed of quarterback than what we've seen last few years from him. Uh, now, the Chiefs just played a team that had a running quarterback, Lamar Jackson. I don't think Purdy's going to be able to run the ball against Kansas City like he did uh, uh, last week did Detroit. So they're going to want to make him pass. And I think that the difference is the Chiefs, you know, they've got um, two elite shutdown corners in the Jarius Sneed and Trent McDuffie. And they've got the best pass rush in the NFL, 54, 57 sacks. Uh, they allowed, they didn't, they were one of four teams that did not allow a 300-yard pass of the season. And they allowed a league low, two 100-yard receiving games. So I think that the, the passing defense will take care of itself. The key is, Christian McCaffrey. The Niners are the best running back in the game. I think I think the second or third best rushing offense in the game. And that's going to be the key. Run the ball. The Chiefs, that's the, that's the Achilles heel of the Chiefs. They ranked 18th against the run. If you can run the ball, you control the clock. And the way to beat the Chiefs is keep Mahomes off the field. You know, if the 49ers have success with McCaffrey on the ground, and they've got the ball for 34, 35 minutes, then I think there's a good chance the Fortnite can win this game. But it's a lot more difficult than it sounds. This is a very good defense. Steve Spagnola, the adjustments he made at halftime, at halftime last, throughout these playoffs, has been a difference for the Chiefs. Uh, and I think it's going to be, be a chess match between Cal Shanahan and uh, Steve Spagnola. Yeah, I'm going to love watching that the, the defensive backs going against Ayuk. And, you know, I failed to mention Debo Samuel a minute ago. I mean, they're, they're just so stacked. That's going to be such an entertaining game. So uh, I think it sounds like you and I are on the same page, though. We're both picking the Chiefs to take Super Bowl 58. You know, I think the key is there are two Pro Bowl tight ends in this game. George Kittle and uh, I think the team that does the best job of shutting down the tight end is probably the team that's going to win. Mahomes loves throwing to Kelsey, and um, pretty loves throwing to Kittle. Those guys have money in the bank when he's throwing balls. So I think the team that does the best of defensively and the tight end maybe the surviving team. But you know, usually one of the biggest prop bets is the coin flip. But I wonder uh, what they're going to set the over under at at the number of times Taylor Swift will be shown on the TV. If if I was to set it at let's say twenty five, would you take the over or under? Whatever you set it at, I'll take the over. 
<laughs> All right. Well, Vegas. I don't but, care. You put whatever number you want. I'll take the over. This is the, the, the NFL loves Taylor Swift in that building. At this point, they just need a little picture and picture of her in the bottom of the screen, so they don't even have to cut over. She's just over there, always there. <laughs> I'd be surprised they don't have somebody on the plane with us from Japan coming to the game. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, I, I mentioned some of your, your credentials in the intro uh, before I brought you in. So I, I wanted to ask you, you know, early in your career, you were at the Kansas City Star. So are you somebody who, uh, you know, prior to being a journalist, did you root for the Chiefs or are you a fan of another team? Well, I'm from Detroit. I worked in New York City and covered the Giants. And then I spent 13 years in Kansas City. So I've been kind of around. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I spent 13 years in Kansas City and, and I covered one playoff game. I saw a lot of bad football in Kansas City. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I know Andy Reid. I know Clark Hunt. I know the people there. You know, it's, it's always good to see them win. Uh, I like all my friends do well. And, you know, I've got, I've got many friends in the building. Yeah, Andy Reid, he's another one, too. I mean, what can you say about a guy who, you know, in the NFC kind of resurrected the Philadelphia franchise, comes over to the Chiefs, takes them up a notch. I mean, what? just give me some of your thoughts on Andy Reid. You know, you know him a little bit, what type of person he is. Is he everything you see on TV? Um, you know, he just kind of seems like one of those guys that this is who he is. Yeah, I think um, great quarterbacks make great coaches. You look at all the, the Hall of Fame coaches. Paul Brown, one quarterback, Otto Graham. Vince Lombardi, one quarterback, Art Starr. Chuck Knoll, one quarterback, Terry Bradshaw. Bill Walsh, one quarterback, Joe Montana. Jimmy Johnson, one quarterback, Corey Aikman. Bill Belichick, one quarterback, uh, Tom Brady. Mahomes is Andy Reid's quarterback. Mahomes is, is Reid next to the Hall of Fame. Actually, you know, he, he had some good seasons with McNabb and took him to the Bowl. But you get Hall of Fame when you, have, when you collect Lombardi trophies. And there's a good chance that if the Chiefs win this week, that's three. And he's his quarterback is not yet 30. There's a chance that team, this, this guy could win four or five. And I think Andy Reid will stick around to, to coach him for those extra, extra Super Bowls. Yeah, that, that's got to be tough, having a guy like Mahomes and knowing that that's your future. But I, I think Andy Reid will stick with it, too. I agree with you. So, you know, I, I mentioned in the intro as well. So you've been, you've seen 37 Super Bowls in person. So were all of those as members of the press? Have you gone as a fan? Do you keep your press badges for all of these things? Just kind of talk about your Super Bowl experiences. Yeah, uh, I covered, those are 37 Super Bowls that I went to work. I covered them. I, I, I've i never gone to a Super Bowl as a fan. Frankly, I can't afford to go to <laughs> Super Bowl as a fan. This is what the most expensive ticket in, in Super Bowl history this week in uh, Las Vegas, so I'm okay. I'm 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 semi-retired now. I'm about ninety percent retired. I still dabble. I, I do my special teams rankings, and I do some. Oh, I, I had a a feature uh, on my Twitter, RickGoslin.com, um, about the fifty-seven greatest moments in Super Bowl history. And I go back and you know go through a lot of the games that I saw, a lot of the plays that I saw. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's been. I I, I my, my first Super Bowl, Super Bowl ten. And the last one was in, in Miami. Uh, over, you know, four or five decades, I've, I've seen a lot of these games. And they're entertaining. You know, a lot of times they didn't live up to the hype, but lately they have been. Uh, and, and again, the, the Super Bowl is all about the quarterbacks. I look at uh, my, my number one moment 
is the comeback by Tom Brady against Atlanta. I mean, that was what he did. That that game stands out in my mind. The two Giants upsets over the Patriots stand out in my mind. You know, the Patriots go with unbeaten, and David Tyree makes that incredible catch. And then when they beat him the second time, Mario Manningham made an incredible catch along the sidelines. You know, those two moments are both in that list of 57 greatest moments in Super Bowl history. Just, but you see so many, they, they kind of run together after a while. I don't see how, uh, I, I don't know, uh, uh, Super Bowls, uh, I guess because I've not gotten to cover one, uh, that, you know, they, they haven't run together for me yet, but I'm hoping as the sports editor for the Times Union in Jacksonville, maybe, just maybe, Trevor Lawrence can help those guys get it together so I can go be the on-site editor for a Super Bowl, but we'll have to wait on that. But you, you think uh, the, the Jaguars can pull it together after, after that collapse this year? Yeah, I think he's too good a quarterback to play like he did last year. And I think Doug Peterson's too good a coach. This, two years ago, they were they were one of the hot teams. Uh, I think they can again be a hot team, but uh, the quarterback's got to have a better season. He's really capable. Uh, I, I think he's I think he's a franchise quarterback. We haven't seen him yet, but I think he, he can be a franchise quarterback. He can he can become that guy. Watch as Joe Burrow became that guy. Yeah, and you know, it, it was tough because he did, uh, they went downhill after he suffered an ankle injury, a knee injury, a concussion, and a shoulder injury, so it's hard, you know, hey, the, the NFL season's hard, but you know, I was just looking it up here as you were talking, I had to see who was in Super Bowl ten. so your first Super Bowl were the Steelers and the Cowboys in January of 1976, so uh, you, you've seen a lot of Cowboys, you've seen a lot of Patriots, apparently, but you know, you mentioned Las Vegas being this year's venue. Venue. Is that something that you would have liked to have seen a Super Bowl in Las Vegas? Because, as you say, uh, people like us who work in journalism, we're we're not the kind that can go out and uh, afford whatever a Super Bowl in Las Vegas is going to cost. It's going to be an absolute circus, and I, I I like I really like the venue because I think it I think if the if the NFL put the Super Bowl in New Orleans every year, that'd be great. It's such an easy town to get around. You can walk the game. And the same thing, Las Vegas, all those hotels and strip, you can essentially walk to the game. They have a train that you can, you can get to the game. Not worried about parking. You don't, you don't have any of that stress there. It's a beautiful stadium. And again, restaurants, entertainment, whatever you want, you can find in Las Vegas. And if you're a fan and if you can afford those tickets, you're going to have a great time in Las Vegas. It is, it, it's a great town year round, but it'll be even a wilder town in more weeks. How many people do you think on the day they're leaving after the Super Bowl are going to try and, uh, you know, bet to get their money back on whatever they spent on, on the uh, very expensive Super Bowl? Tim, I'm not a gambling man, so I can't really tell you, but I'm, <laughs> I'm sure there will be. <laughs> Once again, you take the over on whatever number was set. <laughs> right, right. The enticement to bet in Las Vegas is, is, is powerful. I, I've been there, and I'm not a gambler, but you can always go play, play the penny and nickel slots. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned that the, you know, 37 Super Bowls is the one with Brady winning against Atlanta. Is that the one that maybe sticks out to you as the greatest performance or was that the greatest comeback? Like, what's the one that you look at? That was Super Bowl 51 in 2017. What, what is that the one that you look at? Like, this is the greatest one I witnessed or was there a number, another one in there, too? Well, the, the comeback was incredible. That would probably be up there because that game was over. The game was over in the third quarter. He resurrected them. But again, 
Eli Manning beating Tom Brady twice, those those have to be up there in the top in the top five as well. I mean the Patriots, I mean they were seventeen and zero. They were big favorites to win that game. And in the past think what's wrong about Eli Manning. He made the throws to win the biggest games of his life. I think those stand out. You know, back in eighty seven, the second quarter Doug Williams had um for Washington against Denver. Like he was 10 of 12 passes with 230 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, that was that was a, a remarkable performance um, then. The Lynn Swan catches in that first two bowl I covered, and they're like four for 166 yards, and they're all circus catches, flying, diving catches. Um, so many things stand up. The 49ers goal line stand against Cincinnati in 1981. And Scott Norwood wide right. Uh, in that 1990 Buffalo Super Bowl, and the Cowboys' decimation of the Bills in 1992, where the defense just took the game away from them. You know, just undressed the take on offense. There's there so many. There have been so many great moments, so many great games in Super Bowl history, and so many memories uh, in Super Bowl history. But yeah, I put the Brady comeback and the two Eli Manning games um, way up there among the top top games I saw. When you came to the Dallas Morning News in 1990. That was, you know, the year after uh, Dallas, what were they, 1-15, I believe, in Troy Aikman's rookie year of 89. And then you get to see really the true glory days of the Cowboys. What was that like in the 90s to watch Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin and Troy Aikman and, and that defense, Deion Sanders, at the height of their powers? What was that like? Yeah, I, when they won, when they won it all 92, they went to San Francisco and won the NFC title game. They wanted, I think, a year up ahead of when they expected to be there. I, I think they expected 1993 to be their season, but they they were the they were the youngest, deepest, healthiest team in football in 1992. They only lost eight games by starters the entire season. The the group they started with at open day is the group they finished with at the Super Bowl, and you you watch the Urbans and the Smiths and the Aikens. These guys are all in their mid 20s. We're not talking guys that are you know pushing 30, winning for the first time. You could see the dynasty coming. You know, they got Charles Haley, their Hall of Famer. They got picked up Deion Sanders. It was such a, it was a, such a fun team to watch because they were great on both sides of the ball. You know, in 92, when they won the first one, they ran first in the NFL defense. Everybody talks about the triplets, but that was a defensive team. And, and Emmett Smith running the ball fed into that defense. They only played 26 minutes a game. Um, because of Emmett Smith, you know, winning the rushing title and, and, and his legs. It was such a complete team. They could throw it. They could run it. They could stop throwing. They could stop the pass. They could rush the passer. Whatever you wanted that team to do, they would do. And they had elite special teams on top of all that. See, to see them win it three in a span of four years, it, it's just a shame that Jimmy and Jerry couldn't get along. I, I think if, if they could have hung in there, I think they might have won four or five. In that decade, I, I think it would have been you know, people would be talking about that, like they talk about the Packers and the and the, the Belichick Brady Patriots, if Jimmy and Jerry could have got along, but but they couldn't. And as a result, they only won the three. And the salary can't change things. You know, they built a team with the Herschel Walker deal, and the team was dismantled by the salary cap. Yeah, you know what a lot of people forget is after they win that first Super Bowl, the next year, Emmett holds out. 
He doesn't start the first two games of the season. They go 0-2. He comes back, wins a rushing title. They win the Super Bowl. And they're one of, I think, four teams ever to start out 0-2 and then go on to win the Super Bowl. So, you know, and I believe he won Super Bowl MVP that year, too. So just, uh, you know, they had to overcome so much to do what they did. I mean, uh, what was it like covering all of that turmoil and everything that went on with that team? What is the circus? I mean, with, with, with Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson and, and the characters in the locker room, the Nate Newtons and the Dion or the Charles Haley's, people like that. And every day there was a story. Um, you know, Emmett, Emmett wasn't even there the first two games. He was holding out. And after they lost the first two, they, they told Jerry, get him in here. We, we need to win. Get him in here. And that kind of forced his hand and got, got the deal done. Emmett comes in. But the, the un, I guess the unsung heroes are the offensive line. It's one of the great offensive lines in history. And those guys, and Tony White, Dokum, and they were all, they weren't all first round draft picks. Mark Tuane was a free agent, and Nate Newton came out of the USFL, and Mark Stepnock was an undersized center, took in the second round. Eric Williams was a third round pick out of a small uh, HBCU school. Uh, Kevin Golgan, John Gates were mid round picks. I mean, that was. They took a lot of guys that had talent and molded them into a unit, into one of the best block units in NFL history. And I think if you if talk to Emmett, he'll tell you that the um, big reason for those Russian titles was that offensive line. He, he got he, he did four yards downfield before he saw any contact. Yeah, you know, I'm sure they never uh, gave you anything, uh, any shortage of things to write about back then, that's for sure. You know, you, you mentioned some venues for the Super Bowl earlier. You know, I talked to uh, our state sports editor for USA Today, also uh, an acquaintance, a friend of yours, Nick Puglisi. I remember him telling me he liked New Orleans the best because the hotel was essentially connected to the Super Bowl or the Superdome, and you could just walk over to it, and there were some things of ease there. Is that your favorite venue as well, or is there another place, you know, they've played, you know, in Tampa so many times, and Miami, and San Diego, and all of these places. Is there, uh, is New Orleans your favorite, or is there another one that you really like watching a Super Bowl at? It's anytime you don't have to get on a bus, or don't have to get in the car, that's a plus. So that was the big plus about New Orleans. You could stay at the Hyatt and walk right across the dome. Other towns that you didn't have to, in Detroit, you could walk from the hotel to the stadium. In Indianapolis, you could walk from the hotel to the stadium. And those are two, you know, northern cold weather cities that, you know, not likely to go back to. But I, I really enjoyed those two Super Bowls. Anytime you could have the, the ability to walk around uh, and, and get to places by foot, uh, I, I'm, I'm in favor of those cities. But, yeah, if I had to pick a, a permanent Super Bowl host city, it would be New Orleans. And that is, that is such a great venue. It's such a great town restaurant. Again, you can get everywhere on foot. Uh I'm not a big fan of the of the Silver Dome itself uh, for natural grass, but uh, just as far as, as location, it, it's tough to beat New Orleans. And I think Las Vegas would be up there, uh, very close. My favorite Super Bowl venue is the is the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. I mean, that's that, that should be the college football playoffs should have their championship game there every year. Now, I'm not sure that the NFL is going back there anytime soon. But uh, that was a great, that's a great big game venue. Now, of course, you had to get on the bus to get there. It's way out there. But uh, just, I remember when the Cowboys played that first trip over there in 1993, the 1992 season, this is a pageantry. And, and the, the mammoth scale of that stadium and 100,000 people, it was, it was a sight to behold. 
Yeah, I've not actually been out to the Rose Bowl. I've been near it because uh, for other journalists. Where have you been, Jim? What? Are you? I've been trapped in Florida for a long time. Also, I was going to say the reason I was out in Pasadena near the stadium, but not near there. I used to cover space uh, for for many years, and I was out there at the Jet Propulsion Lab when uh, when they landed a Volkswagen sized rover on Mars. So uh, so I've seen some cool things, just not a Super Bowl, unfortunately. <laughs> I thought I, talking about stadiums. I, I really like the Tampa Stadium. I, that's one of my favorite stadiums. Uh, Tampa, I like. I like Baltimore. Um, of course, Dallas is, is the Taj Mahal. I, I I've not been to the LA Stadium, but I hear that's right up there with Dallas and in Allegiant. Uh, Las Vegas is, is a is a top shelf stadium. Uh, yeah, there's. I, I prefer outdoor, and I prefer a grass field. And um, T- Tampa's up there. Among my all-time favorites. Yeah, I like Raymond James. I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to do here in Jacksonville when they put, you know, roughly a billion and a half dollars into renovating that stadium. And of course, up in Tennessee, they're building a 2.2 billion dollar stadium in Nashville. And I love the city of Nashville, so I- I'm excited to see that new stadium. And I think that they should get a, a host Super Bowl once they uh, once they get that built here in the next few years. And that's usually the deal. If you build a stadium, they'll bring you a game. Uh, and I think that's that, that'll probably happen. Nashville, uh, they proved they could play in up north in conditions outdoors when we went to New York. But I think that wouldn't be a restriction. Uh, yeah, I think Nashville's a great town. I, I have a sister who lives in Nashville, and and I love visiting that town. And it's again, it's it's a great venue for Super Bowl, the restaurants and the, the live entertainment and such. Yeah, and you know, I, I think if there is one stadium that may not get a Super Bowl after building a new stadium, because they're not going to put a dome, and that's Buffalo, and no one wants to be in Buffalo in February except the people that live there. Yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> think we'll ever see a Super Bowl in Buffalo. I mean, I think with Josh Allen, you may see a couple AFC title games up in uh, Buffalo, but I don't think we'll ever see a Super Bowl in Buffalo. Uh, but let me say this: I think Buffalo is a great town. I, I was there a lot during the 1990s, uh, one with the K-Gun with Kelly and Bruce Smith, Andre Reed, Thurman Thomas, and that that town, town loves their team. And it, the atmosphere on game day, whether the parkland is full of snow or not, it's it, it's better. And uh, yeah, that that they, they deserve a new stadium. They they the fans deserve a new stadium up there. It's too bad the tech is going to pay for. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, you mentioned the 1990s. You you were, you know, at newspapers in what people my age refer to as the golden age of newspapers, the 80s and 90s. You know, uh, in my career since roughly 1998, you know, we've obviously seen print decline. We've seen the evolution of digital and all of these things. So what was it like covering a Super Bowl kind of before you had to worry about the internet and, you know, metrics? And I mean, heck, uh, you know, what was it like just shipping a story from a Super Bowl to your desk? You know, I I just love hearing stories about what things like that were like. When I started out uh, at UPI in the early 70s in Detroit, I spent two years there and then two years in New York City. I mean, you used a typewriter. Your word processor was a typewriter, and you had to edit with you know erasers and, and pencils, and you had to edit, and you had to hand the copy over to teletype and and get it in that way. And, and at UPI, we dictated a lot. You know, we just we off the top of our head, you dictate a game story, and then uh, as I got to Kansas City, we got into the computer age, 
and telegrams and porta bubbles and, and he started using the, the machines that electronically sent. And that that really helped. That that improved the quality of writing because you could edit on the screen. And of course, there was all kinds of problems in Lowry stadiums. You know, you kept losing connections and the stadiums just lost so loud. But it made made the, the job a lot easier. And back then, you know, with newspapers, when, when newspapers were prominent, we had deadlines. When the Super Bowl ended uh, at ten o'clock, you had you have your story in by eleven o'clock. You had to get down the locker room, uh, get some quotes, write your story all in the span of sixty minutes. And there was always you know deadline pressure to do that. Now there's less deadline pressure. So many papers now uh, are, are going to the websites, the internet, and you're writing for the website. There's no longer that hard and fast deadline. You got to have it in by eleven o'clock. You choose to get it in when you can. Yeah, we deal with that with a lot of our deadlines now in that, you know, essentially, unless it ends by about 4 or 4, 4.30 in the afternoon, it's probably not going to make it into the next day's paper. And, you know, I guess that's probably part of why, uh, you know, people, again, you know, in my current era, we don't get to travel around uh, as much. You know, we have to send one guy, maybe two guys on the road. So, uh, you know, it's usually my beat writer and my columnist, but, uh, you know, get up to get out to as many home games as we can or state games. Uh, I would have loved to have seen the Jaguars Tampa game on Christmas Eve, but I have a nine-year-old. So, uh, you know, hard to do that on Christmas Eve on a four o'clock game. But, you know, uh, it's just the, the the thrill of covering the NFL still uh, is just an amazing thing. And heck, I'm, I'm thankful to, to be in Jacksonville at a point where the team isn't what it was for the 11 years prior. So uh, I'm sure you probably felt that way once Dallas became good. And, you know, the, the demise of print is, is bad because, like, the Dallas Morning News is still one of the probably five or six best papers in the country, one of the three or three best sports sections. But you cannot get, if, if the Dallas Stars, NHL, or the Mavericks, NBA, or the Rangers, um, they, they play a night game. It's not in the morning paper. They, they send you to the website to do it. And I'll tell you what, growing up, reading the newspaper, you know, getting the, the box scores every morning, those are gone. And I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing, you know, print is becoming less and less impactful. Uh, and at the NFL is still where it's going to be at because those one o'clock starts, you can always get the NFL game in the paper the next morning. And I know in Dallas, a lot of times they'll hold the paper if the Cowboys play a night game, but they, they won't hold the paper for Maverick stars, Rangers, anybody else. Unless of course the Rangers are in the world series like this past year. But it's, 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 you're right. I, I, I tell people I'm glad I got in when I got in and got out when I got out. <laughs> when when the print media, was print journals was still prominent in this country, I think it's become less and less, though it's becoming more and more um, talk radio and television networks and, and print is, is, is on the decline. Yeah, and I got to tell you, I the last uh, you know I've been doing the podcast now for a little over three years and 160 episodes. This is a fun way to do it because uh, you know you kind of have a little bit more time. You can have a conversation. You know, people can listen to some of it now, listen to it later. So I, I do enjoy that part of the uh, digital aspect of it. Yeah, podcast can be worth it. I mean, like you said, you've got you've got freedom. Pick your topics, talk at length. You know, you, you can do a 10-minute podcast, you can do a half-hour podcast, you know, whatever length you want to, to make it fit. And you can explore topics, you can get into matchups, things you can't necessarily do in print. I think it's, that's, that's where we're going. 
you know, we're going to digital, we're going to podcasts, we're going to talk radio, we're, we're going more to talking about events and writing about events. Yeah, definitely fun having a conversation. So, Rick, before I let you go, I do have to ask you this because, you know, aside from Super Bowls, you've covered multiple Olympics, World Series, Final Fours, NBA and Stanley Cup playoffs, Major League Baseball, NHL All-Star Games, and a World Cup. So do any of those events uh, match up to covering a Super Bowl or what is your favorite non-NFL or non-football event that you've covered? The first event I ever covered professionally, I was a student Sports Center at Michigan State University, and I applied for credential to the 1971 baseball all-star game. And that was the game where Reggie Jackson hit the light power. And there were about eight home runs, and they all by Hall of Famers, Johnny Bench and Roberto Clemente and Harmon Killebrew. I mean, for a kid that's 20 years old, being a, in a game of that magnitude, it was there you still talk about 50 years later. That, that, that stands out. Um, but as far as the spectacle of an event, the Olympics would be close. But that'd be for the opening ceremonies. You, you spread out to different events. But but just the Super Bowl, just in one one building, one event, and the crowd converging. And I, again, I go back to that Rose Bowl, 100,000 people converging on a stadium. Uh, it's by far, again, the World Cup, it's spread out. Maybe the World Cup championship game would be of this magnitude, but I haven't covered that. Now, I may get the chance down the road here, but I, I haven't covered that. But right now, I, I think Sir Bowles is, is top of the mountain. That's that, that's the game that, that everybody watches. And you look at the networks. And the networks, they, they're, they've sold out footballs where it's at, and that's where they're spending all their money because people are attracted to this 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 event, the magnitude of this event. It's, it's top of the mountain. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. So you retired from the Dallas Morning News in 2019, which got to be weird thinking that that's now just about five years ago. So what have you been up to since? And, uh, you know, you'd mentioned you still do a little bit of work. If people want to uh, read things you do or follow you, is there a place where they could find you on uh, X or Twitter? Sure, I got so I'm on Twitter, uh, Rick Goslin 9 Twitter. I got a website, rickgoslin.com, and I still dabble. I do my... Uh, I've been doing the NFL spec teams ranking since 1985. Uh, and those are fairly popular. Um, I did my, my Super Bowl moments. I, I, I've got a series of draft reviews. I spent 20 years uh, draft intensive on uh, doing mock drafts and top honor boards. And I've gone back and, and looked at what scouts were saying about the Tom Brady's and the Drew Brees's and the Peyton Manning's when they were coming out, not post-career what they were said before they were ever drafted. And you'd be surprised there there, there, there are negative comments mixed in with the positive comments. But um, again, I, I, I dabble. So I feel like writing, I write. Uh, it, it's nice to have uh, to be able to work on my own schedule. Now, I'm looking forward to it. That will be in, oh, I don't know, roughly 20 years for me, maybe 18 if I can uh, get out with good behavior, but we'll see. <laughs> Hang on. As long as I'm giving you a check, keep doing it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Rick, this has been a great conversation. I appreciate you joining me. Is there anything else you want to get in front of the audience before I let you go? Uh, we're good. Give Ira Coffin my regards. <laughs> yes, Ira, our, our favorite Buccaneers uh, podcast guest. And, uh, of course, he's the one that makes the case for Bucks to get into the Hall of Fame. Is that something you do for uh, Dallas Cowboys players? Yes, sir. I've been, I've been on the committee for 28 years, and I've made a presentation for Gary Jones and Jimmy Johnson and all the triplets and 
more recently have done Darren Woodson and other, a lot of the guys, uh, Rayfield Wright, Cliff Harris, Drew Pearson, guys from the seventies that I've pushed on the senior committee. Yeah, it's fun. I've been doing it for 20 years. I've been on the senior committee oh, about, uh, almost 20 now. It's just fun. It's, it's a very, it's a meaningful path because you change people's lives. Once somebody goes in the hall of fame, people look at them differently. Well, it sounds like I need to have you and Ira on to talk about this a little bit more because I could sit here and pepper you guys with questions about the Hall of Fame and how that process works as well. Let's do it. All righty. Well, it sounds good. Well, Rick, uh, for now, I appreciate you coming on, sharing your stories of the Super Bowl, and I do look forward to talking to you again soon. Okay, Tim. I appreciate it. Take care. And that will do it for another episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters, and to quote Dallas Cowboys legend Troy Aikman, Winning is hard. Repeating is harder. Well, it's not hard to be a repeat listener, so join me again next time. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.